Thank you, Adam. Thanks for the welcome here again. And we're, yes, we're concluding the series on Romans. So if you want to turn with me to the book of Romans, uh, and we'll start in at chapter 1 on page 939 in the Pew Bibles. So I know I was given verses 6 to 11 of chapter 5, but I'm going to do a bit more than that. I'm going to kind of review the section because we covered some of this last week. Now, maybe you're wondering why we're ending the book of this series in the middle of chapter 5. Why not go to the end of chapter 5? Well, it's actually because the first section of Romans goes really from the middle of chapter 1 to the middle of chapter 5. So the chapter divisions aren't massively helpful. And today we're going to review this entire section. And I've entitled this Confidence in God's Justice as I see that as one of the major themes running through this whole section of Romans. Uh, And it's 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 this is all about having confidence in God. Last week we thought about having confidence in his love for us. Today we're going to have confidence in his justice, his characteristic of justice. This seems hard to believe because the fact that God is just and holy actually causes us our biggest problems as humans. But when we trust in Christ, that whole situation is reversed. And the same characteristic which caused us our biggest problem actually becomes our confidence. Gives us our comfort and security. Gives us unshakable confidence in our salvation. We go from kind of dreading a God of justice to rejoicing in God and his justice. That's what Paul does here in this section. Now, do you understand that? We're going to start at the start. uh, And this is verses 16 and 17 of chapter 1. And page 939. And I think these two verses actually summarize the whole book of Romans to a large extent. Verses 16 and 17 of chapter 1. Let's read from verse 16. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. And this tells us right up front that Romans is about the gospel. And the gospel is about the power of God for salvation. Now, if you need to be saved, you need to be, you're in some kind of danger. The gospel has the power to save us, is what it's saying. So we must be in some kind of danger. And from that summary of what the whole gospel is, Paul launches into the very first reason we need the gospel. And that's in the very next verse. Look at the next verse here, verse 18. For, you see the connection? We need to be saved because, for, the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. This is telling us the the first and primary and most important and most crucial reason we need to be saved by the gospel. We are in danger is the wrath of God. We need to be saved from a God of justice. Because God is righteous and just, he is angry with all ungodliness and unrighteousness, just like a good judge is angry with all crime. But that means he is angry with us as well. That's the problem here that Paul's bringing before us. God's justice actually is our biggest problem in the whole universe, in a sense. Now, turn with me to the end of this section in chapter 5 on page 942. And we'll read how the whole section comes to a glorious climax here in chapter 5. And notice the same connection with the wrath of God, right? 
verse 9. Since, therefore, we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. So it actually ends with us rejoicing in God and absolutely confident. That's what that word rejoicing means. It means having confidence. That we shall be saved from the wrath of God. That we'll never ever face the wrath of God. Ever. And rejoice means it is our boast. Our supreme hope and confidence. So how do we go from God being our major problem here in chapter 1. And his wrath being our greatest danger. To God himself being our confidence in chapter 5. And us never having to worry about his wrath ever again. That's kind of the first section of Romans. We're going from chapter 1 to chapter 5. We're sort of journeying from running from him and his wrath to resting in him and his justice. So to find out, we'll have to journey through this first section of Romans. So let's go back to verse 18 of chapter 1 again. Now, this is where we start with the reality of God's anger against mankind's sin and rebellion. So God has to punish sin. Right, That's what it's saying. Because he is just. And because he is so just means that sin is even worse to him. The more just and righteous a judge is, the more determined he is to bring justice. And if God does not deal with all sin to the minutest detail, he cannot be God. You see, the problem in this verse is the word all against all unrighteousness and ungodliness. He cannot remain, God cannot remain as the perfect moral governor of the universe unless he deals with all sin to the minutest detail. Things that we wouldn't even concern ourselves with. So whether we like it or not, whether we believe in God or not, it really doesn't matter. We humans are accountable to God and he is a perfect, just and holy God with supreme standards of moral behavior. And he cannot compromise them in the slightest. He must and will hold us responsible for all that we do. Not just what we do, actually, but what we say, what we think, what we believe. All our desires, our attitudes, our motivations, everything to the deepest levels of our being. He will hold us accountable for the whole lot. Do you see the problem? (laughs) Right? And he will hold us accountable not to our standards, to his perfect standards. And so Paul says right from the start of this, we're in a whole lot of trouble, we humans. We're all experts at putting on a decent show, putting our decent selves in show, kind of like this morning, we all dress up. But if I was to sit down and tell you all the wrong I have ever done that I can remember, and not just what I have done, what I have thought about or desired to do at times, I think you would agree that I'm in an awful lot of trouble with God. You might go and sit somewhere else, to be honest. And if I was to sit down and ask you the same, and you were to be honest, I might sit somewhere else as well. And that's only what I remember. Like most of it I have put away from my mind, to be honest. And that's the difficulty. God knows it all, and he can't forget it. He can't put it out of his mind. He he has to deal with it. He can't just ignore it or forget it. He created us, and he must maintain perfect and 100% justice in his universe. So he is responsible to deal with everything. To the smallest crime. 
I'm afraid God takes us and our sin far more seriously than we would like him to. But he does. And so how do we escape of all of sin? We're in a lot of trouble. And Paul actually then explores three ways that we humans try to escape this danger. And they don't actually have one bit. They actually make it worse. So approach number one is in the same verse. We suppress the truth. That just means we deny it. We put it down. We bur- it's kind of like burying our head in the sand, as we would say. Paul tells us that deep down in the human heart is the knowledge that there is right and wrong and a sense that there must be justice in this universe and there must be a God who will deal with everything. But we don't like that truth because of the threat that it implies to us. So we suppress it. We ignore it. And there's two ways I think we do this. We either change God, change him into a God that is more palatable. We make God out to be all love and no justice. A big kind of grandpapa in the sky who only wants everyone to have a good time. Or we deny that he's angry with sinners. But it's utter nonsense. We all know that that the God who has given us a moral conscience must be far more moral than we are. And if, and if that is so, he must be very, very angry about what goes on in his world every day. So, so we have actually come up with another way to try to do this. We ignore him. This is, this is the way the Western world generally goes about this problem at the minute. We deny it exists at all. We believe anything and everything that will prove that he doesn't exist. We systematically suppress all mention of God except his swear words, which is acceptable. But everything else, you're not allowed to talk about him. In you know, civilized life, God is the ultimate big elephant in every room that no one mentions. This is how we're trying to deal with this problem of God being a God of justice. But Paul says this does not help at all. It actually makes matters worse. It makes us more guilty because in us lying about God and deliberately ignoring God, we're offending God further by deliberately shutting him out of the world that he owns. And ignoring the truth about sin and the consequences of sin actually encourages us just to sin a bit more often and more freely. And all that does is incur more and more guilt. You see the problem? Trying to ignore God actually makes it worse, Paul says. And that's how he ends this chapter one. He says people actually saying that right is wrong and wrong is right. And wrong, you know, sin building up and increasing. So just because we don't take God seriously doesn't mean that he doesn't take us seriously. And us trying to bury our head in the sands is not the best approach. It just makes us do even more sin and get into even more trouble. So. Approach number one is a bad idea. So many others go for approach number two. And that's to be better than others. Right? Or at least convince ourselves that we're better than others. And that starts into chapter two here of Romans. And that is where we accept the fact that yes, there must be a God. Yes, there is right and wrong. We accept the God that he, that must, he must be the ultimate moral judge of the universe to whom we're all accountable. So we think, well, we'll just try and be better than most people and hopefully we'll get off lightly. This is a very general approach to many millions of people in this world as well. It's kind of like the story of two hikers who spot an angry bear coming out of the woods. And they both start running. And one says to the other, oh no, we'll never outrun a bear. And he says, I know, I just have to outrun you. Right? That's kind of a lot of approach to people's problem with God. 
We realize that judgment is coming like an angry bear. So we just try to be better than the majority. We'll get the worst of it whenever it hits. Ahead of the pack. And God will hopefully go easy on us because we haven't been as bad as them. But again, Paul warns that this actually is a very foolish approach as well. It sounds reasonable, but it's not. Because what that does is it actually makes us more guilty. In judging others, we end up producing stacks of evidence against ourselves, is what he goes on to show in chapter 2. Because whenever we're trying to be better than others, right, if that's our approach to life, then what that does is leads to loads of comparisons and judging of other people's behavior. We say, oh my, look at her social media. Does she know self-respect? And we gossip about others. We say, did you hear about your man and what he did? We keep comparing ourselves with others to assure ourselves that we are actually better ahead of the pack. And we end up condemning all this behavior in each other. And then Paul says, we end up doing the exact same things that we condemn in others. So this is really easy to prove. It would take a long time. But let's start. Take a pencil and pen if you have one there. And I'll ask you some questions here, right? Question number one, have you ever been annoyed at someone being late? Question number two, have you ever been late? Question number three, have you ever thought someone was so lazy and irresponsible? Question number four, have you ever been lazy or irresponsible? I'm starting minor. We could ramp it up. You get the point. You go, you know, I remember one time being disgusted at the boys in work for they were trying to encourage me to check out some woman in the canteen. And I was like, guys, you're married. And then I caught myself red-handed a few days later doing the exact same thing. And it was almost like a voice from heaven. Whenever we judge others, we, we end up just proving that we know right from wrong. And we cannot deny that we are doing wrong and we know it. And he goes on to say that the day of justice is coming. You see in chapter 2 here, the day of wrath. When every thought, not even just what we do, every thought, every desire will be played back to us like a tape recorder. And we won't be able to deny any of it. There will be proof after proof that we didn't even live up to our own standards. And like God is the God of supreme justice. He can't ignore that kind of evidence. That is concrete evidence. That we did wrong and we knew it. Undeniable evidence. So, in judging and condemning others, we end up producing stacks of evidence. That's the idea idea here in storing up wrath. That is not the kind of treasure you want to store up. We end up producing stacks of evidence against ourselves. So, option one is a bad idea, is dangerous. Ignoring God, you'll just make him more angry and you'll do more sin. Option two is a bad idea, you'll just stack up. Judging others, trying to be better than others, you'll just produce more evidence against yourself. So, there's one more option available to us, and that is be religious. I know why you're all here now. We're all going for option three. That's whenever we think, yeah, God has to judge sin. So we think, well, if you can't beat him, let's join him. Let's be part of his team. Let's get ourselves on his side. And it seems like a good approach, but Paul actually condemns this approach the most of all three with the strongest language. 
he says, this is the one of all that gives the God the worst name, that defames his character. You see, because this approach results in people acting as if they're God's special ones because they belong to this or that religion or they've done this or that ceremony or whatever. And in Paul's day, he applied it particularly to the Jews because they knew the most about the one true God. So many of them thought that this meant they were his wee blue-eyed boys, his favorites. They thought in the final judgment, they would get away with everything because they were God's wee you know, favorites. And all the Gentiles and non-Jews, they would be condemned and blasted by God's justice because, just because they weren't Jews. Like, it was ridiculous. But this God, Paul says, this gives God a bad name, as if God has favorites, as if you know, he's unfair, as if he's not treating everybody equally, as if he's willing to overlook sins in some of his people because they happen to be his wee special ones, like a spoiled children. But God can't do that. Paul says. He has to condemn sin in everyone. And Paul says, of all options, this is the most dangerous, trying to hide behind religion. Because knowing more about God means we are more accountable to him, not less. So none of these options actually get us out of trouble. In fact, they all make matters worse. And by the end of this survey of all the options available to us, it's not a good circumstance. It's a pretty hopeless picture of universal human guilt It says, every mouth stopped, silenced, guilty, with nothing to say in our defense. The whole world accountable to God. No human being justified in his sight. Despite all of our approaches, all of our efforts, with religion, with trying to be better, we all stand condemned and await our sentence, doomed. And then, of course, the big turning point comes here in verse 21. It says, but now, right, there is, God has provided a way out of this. Through what God has done in Christ, he can now justify us. Without compromising his holy justice in the slightest, he can declare us free of all charges. God has made it possible for him to be just and the justifier of him who has faith in Jesus. That's what, that's what justification means. It means being cleared of all charges. <laughs> Absolutely walking out of court free. And and God can do this while remaining just. That's the whole point. Without him compromising his standards at all. He He can declare us sinful people not guilty without ignoring our sins or undermining his holy and righteous standards in the slightest. So this was not a matter of God finding a loophole in his moral law. As we saw last week, to do this, God himself had to become human and die. God had to pay the full price for our sins with his own blood. God himself had to fully satisfy his own justice. He had to appease his own anger and wrath. That's what this word right in the middle of chapter 3 or at the end of chapter 3 means, propitiation. It means a sacrifice that removes anger, that placates, that calms someone who is offended. God had to satisfy himself and his holy anger against sin. And he did that. He didn't ignore a single sin. He paid for them all at an enormous personal cost. Christ did not escape the wrath of God. Christ endured the wrath of God. So we don't have to. That's what this is saying. 
Imagine how the angels felt whenever they saw, they must have been utterly astounded and confused whenever they watched God's son brutally battered and bleeding and dying a horrendous death, being treated so bad by humans. But then they were even more confused to see the holy and righteous Son of God suffer under the wrath of Almighty God, that God himself turned against his Son. Why had God turned against his Son? As if treating him as if he was the most horrendous sinner who had ever lived. Why was God doing that? Because this was the only way that God could remain just and yet be merciful to us sinners. And that's why the cross is so central to the whole of Christianity. You will not be able to come here hardly ever and not hear about the cross time after time. Do you know why? Because there is no other basis that we could possibly ever be forgiven. Every other belief system and religion in the world is kind of hoping that God doesn't take us and our sin too seriously. It's hoping that God will undermine his moral standards, that he will downplay our sins and the seriousness of them. But Christianity is saying God hasn't done that in the slightest. God is up. Christianity upholds God's holy moral standards to the extreme and says God himself has paid every bit of it to the last penny. God would have, if God had not done the cross, God would have no choice but to condemn us all forever. But because of the cross, God can now forgive us freely and forever in front of the whole universe without the slightest hint of unfairness or injustice. God can be just and justify us. That's what this is saying. But then it goes on to say that to avail of it, to get this, we have to believe. Look, to be He's put forward as appropriation by his blood to be received by faith, that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. This is the one condition, to have free and full forgiveness forever. You know what faith means? It simply means to stop trying to do this yourself and trust yourself to God and what he has done for you. See, all those other three options, that was us trying to do this ourselves, trying to get ourselves out of trouble. And all it did was get us into more trouble. And, and this is saying stop and humbly receive the only possible solution that God has made available for you. Imagine yourself to be in a court trial with God as a judge and you're the accused of having broken his holy law and you foolishly have determined to be your own defense counsel. Right? And you say, I can get away with this. And firstly, your approach number one is just to ignore the judge. And pretend you're not even in court. And say, I don't agree with this court and this law. And all you're going to do is upset the judge. And offend him with your rudeness and contempt of court. So you can see that's not going so well, so you decide to change tactic. And you start try to argue that you were not as bad as this court is making you out to be, and you talk about all the wrong that other people have done and how they ought to be out getting them and not after you. And then the court plays back evidence that the very things that you're accusing other people of, you have thought or desire to do the same things you condemn in others. And all this is doing is adding to your list of crimes. <laughs> You're bringing up more crimes about yourself in front of court. So finally, in desperation, you try to charm the judge and bribe the judge to get him on your side. 
But that offends him even more, as you're suggesting he can be manipulated to undermine the law he is responsible to uphold. So all of your attempts to defend yourself end up making your case worse, and you end up silenced and hopeless and condemned. But you know what? All along, the very court that is condemning you has provided a barrister for you. Provided by the court itself. If only you would give up your pathetic attempts to defend yourself and trust yourself to this guy instead. And so, well, you've no choice. You're, you're utterly condemned. So finally you do, and he takes over your case, and he pays for all your crimes fully and completely. He gets your record officially cleared by the court so that none can ever accuse you again. That's exactly what this is saying. You know, the Bible calls the Lord Jesus our advocate, our barrister. If we trust ourselves to him instead of taking on our own defense, he comes up with a case that is watertight. And he's got it ready for every one of us. He can take on anyone who comes to him. And all it requires is faith for us. Stop trying to be your own defense and look to God instead. And God has actually given us example after example in the Bible of people who have done this. Men who were no better than me and you. Men and women. And yet God declared them justified, (laughs) forgiven, righteous. Because they... You know, they put their, they stopped looking at themselves and put their trust in God and they found rest and security in Him. Two examples in chapter 4 here of Romans is Abraham and David. Men who were no better, but they gave up hope in themselves and put their trust in God. And God declared them righteous, both of them. God took on their case and cleared it. And as well as Abraham and David, I'm another example of someone who finally gave up trying to save myself. For 21 years, I was determined to save myself. I had rejected God all my life. My guilt and sin sat like a big lump on my shoulders that I could not shift. I tried everything I could. I tried to believe. I tried to do deals with God. I tried everything I could think of. And yet the more I tried, the more I had the sense that things were only getting worse rather than better. And eventually I gave up my own defense. I gave up my own case. And that's what God was waiting for me to do all along. And he took it all away, all my sins and guilt. And I still remember that moment. And this is the verse that God brought before me. At that, I actually looked at the Bible and the Bible was open before me at Romans chapter 5 verse 1. It says this, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. As soon as Jesus Christ takes over our case, he gives you what what I was longing for all my life, peace with God. But he couldn't do so until I stopped trying to save myself. I remember actually going for a walk with my best mate Mark that same evening. And he had been justified, saved three days before me. And we had known each other for years, but when we, when that happened, we walked and talked like never before. It was like a new beginning. We no longer had to run from God in fear. We, we could live with Him by our side. We were going to be with Him forever. See, when Christ takes over our case, God changes from being our biggest problem, the thing that we can't fix, to being our rock, our biggest answer, our rock and security. And the fact that God is just and righteous is no longer a concern. It's actually reassuring. We can be certain we will never face his anger because he is just and righteous. 
He can never and he will never condemn us. Because that would be like a judge sentencing someone who had been acquitted by the legal system. It wouldn't be right. It wouldn't be just. It wouldn't be legal. So because God has already received full payment for our sins from Christ, he will never ask for payment from us. God has already accepted what his son has done. Just before this, look at what he says. It says he raised from the dead Jesus our Lord who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. When God raised Jesus Christ from the dead, he accepted his sacrifice as payment for our sins. And when God exalted Jesus Christ back to heaven and right into his very presence, God was accepting everyone who trusts in Jesus Christ along with him. He was saying it's all done, it's taken care of. And it is God's very justice and integrity as the moral governor of the universe that means we are safe forever when we trust in Jesus Christ. The very same characteristic about God his justice and integrity that was a threat to us when we were defending our own case is what gives us complete security now that Christ has taken it over. We can be absolutely certain, it says. We rejoice in, that, in the hope. And that's a certain hope of reaching glory because God has already declared us forgiven. It's done and dusted. Remember years ago, Professor Gooding, as a young man, was quizzed by an old preacher who decided to see if he knew his stuff. And he asked him, what are you relying on for eternity, young man? And Prof was about to say the love of God. And at the last minute, he changed his answer and said the justice of God. And he went, 100%. We are certain of heaven because God is just. This section of Romans which begins with us in serious trouble because of the reality of God and his justice, ends with us rejoicing in the justice of God, absolutely confident that we will never face God's wrath because God is just. I don't usually quote old hymns, hymns in general, especially old hymns, but there's this old hymn that is one of my favorites. And it captures perfectly what Paul is arguing in this first section of Romans. Now, it's in very old English because it was written in the 1700s, so you may not understand it all. I'll try to explain a bit of it as we go along. But it, it is absolutely brilliant. It says this, From whence this fear and unbelief hath not the Father put to grief his spotless Son for me? And will the righteous judge of men condemn me for the debt of sin which Lord was charged on thee? It says, complete atonement thou hast made, and to the utmost thou hast paid everything, whatever thy people owed. How then can wrath on me take place, if sheltered in thy righteousness and sprinkled by thy blood? If thou hast my discharge procured and freely in my room, in my place endured, the whole of wrath divine, everything, every last drop, Payment God will not twice demand, cannot twice demand. First at my bleeding surety's hand, and then again at mine. A surety means someone who guarantees a payment for another if they cannot pay. Christ is our surety. When we trust him, he pays on our behalf what we could never pay. And then it says, turn then my soul unto thy rest. We have peace with God. The merits of thy great high priest. That's like an advocate, a representative. 
a barrister have bought thy liberty, thy freedom. Trust in his efficacious blood. Means effective, successful in producing the desired result. Nor fear thy banishment from God since Jesus died for thee. So in this first section of Romans, Paul is dealing with the number one reason we need to be saved from the wrath of God because God is just. He cannot ignore even a single sin. Nor can he lower his standards in the slightest. But Paul brings us from being afraid of God to having confidence in God. And the way he has made for us to be forgiven, he can justify us. He can declare us not guilty without undermining his law or his standards in the slightest. But to get this freedom, we need to give up our own defense of ourselves, admit our guilt, and put our trust in Jesus Christ. And when Christ takes over our case, we are absolutely safe and secure because Christ has a perfect defense ready for us. He has already endured the wrath of God. He has been accepted by God. So when we trust ourselves to God, To him, God has to acquit us. He has already accepted the payment for our sins from Christ. So it wouldn't be right to ask for it again from us. Let's give thanks. Lord, we do thank you for this great confidence we can have in your justice. Whenever we see the great case that the Lord Jesus has made for us. And he didn't do it by making excuses for us. Are trying to find loopholes. He did it by enduring the wrath of God. Every bit of it. To the very last drop of his blood. So that he would have a way. To stand in our place. To take on our defense. And to hide us in him. Lord we thank you that. Thank you for everyone here. Who has put their in Jesus Christ. Who has laid down their pathetic attempts, all of our pathetic attempts to defend ourselves or to escape the wrath of God or to escape the justice that is inevitable in this universe and instead trusted ourselves to Jesus Christ. And we thank you that when we have done that, we have been given peace with God that will never end. And we can rest in that this very day because it is a watertight case. God cannot and will never Ask us to pay for the sins that Christ has already paid for. Payment God cannot twice demand. First at my bleeding surety's hand and then again at mine. Lord, we thank you for the Lord Jesus, our only hope and our Savior. And we offer our thanks in his name.